Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online and on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and for over a year now, I have been talking about various ways to counter our fears with faith. A lot of ways that I myself have found super helpful in my own battle. I've learned, and I am learning, to actively control what I think, to stop anxious thoughts before they gain momentum, and to intentionally focus on truth. I'm learning to de-stress through exercise and to make sure that I'm taking regular periods of rest, to listen to praise music and maybe even dance along on occasion. God has taught me so many great practices as he leads me toward greater freedom, but the most powerful weapon he's given me by far is that of prayer. As I shared in episode 15, my life began to change dramatically once I started actively, specifically, consistently, and persistently praying against my fear specifically and in faith. That's when I really began to experience supernatural, miraculous intervention. And I believe each of those components that I prayed actively and specifically, asking God to break the power fear OCD specifically had over me. And many times I would voice this out loud and, and that I prayed consistently every time I felt a twinge of anxiety and fear. And I prayed persistently, not once, not twice, not even for a day or a week or a month, but but for over a year. And in fact, I'm still praying that way, not as often as I need to. I need to go back to being more diligent, more persistent, more consistent. But I made that my primary battle cry, my main mode of attack. Now, consider some of the most courageous, influential Christ followers in history. Paul, the Pharisee turned missionary who wrote much of the New Testament, who planted somewhere around 20 different churches during one of the most anti-Jesus periods in history, while experiencing persecution, beatings, floggings, imprisonment. Then there's Susanna Wesley, the mother who sat in a chair and prayed with her apron pulled over her head while her 10 children, 10 children, y'all, while her 10 children played all around her. A woman who not only sought God's supernatural power for herself and her family, but who modeled how to do so for her children, one of whom, John Wesley, became one of the most influential and prolific evangelists of the 19th century. And then there was George Mueller, the missionary who determined while founding orphanages and schools to rely solely on God to fund his mission and provide for the precious children under his care. And God did, whether that meant bringing milk directly to the orphanage door when they were completely out or the funds for five children's homes that cost a total of $100,000. Now, back then, that was a lot of money. That would be today's equivalent of $14 million acquired through prayer. Can you imagine? Consider this quote, which he spoke shortly after one of God's miraculous provisions. Quote, be assured if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. Now, I, I love that quote. Let me state it again. If you walk with him and you look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you, end quote. And in this, he demonstrated to everyone, all the impressionable children under his care especially, precisely what a childlike faith looks like. 
Sometimes I struggle to understand what it means to be a child of God, to really fully grasp his role as my heavenly father, not just in an authoritative sense, but relationally as well. This was the message that Jesus gave us again and again and again. He redefined mankind's view of God, taking him from this big, powerful being, which he is, absolutely, to a loving, tender, compassionate, and faithful dad, which he also is. So while instructing the disciples, and therefore us as well, Jesus provided a model that, when fully grasped, has the power to extinguish some of our greatest fears. And today we're going to be spending our time unpacking the truths that Christ pointed to in what many refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So speaking of this prayer, author Max Licato, he said something interesting that I hadn't thought of before. The disciples request that Jesus teach them how to pray. It appears to be their only such request in scripture. So they didn't ask how to multiply bread, how to walk on water, even how to cause boatloads full of fish to jump in their nets. Those would have been really cool things to know how to do, right? But they didn't ask for lessons on any of those things. Instead, they asked that Jesus would teach them how to pray. Now, their request and Jesus's model of what prayer looks like, it follows directly after a conversation that Jesus had regarding the Pharisees and regarding the pagans, who, who the Pharisees who were wanted, had these lofty prayers and, and made a show out of it to impress others, and then, and then the pagans who just used all of these words hoping to gain the God's attention. Jesus said, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that doesn't mean we should never ask God for help. Scripture tells us to present our request to God, to cast all our concerns, every single one upon him, because he cares for us. Instead, according to author Philip Yancey, Jesus, quote, could only mean that we need not strive to convince God to care. The Father already cares more than we can know, end quote. And Jesus is proof of that. And like I said, his discussion of prayer, it came directly after telling his disciples how not to pray. So I think in part that was why they asked him, because maybe they were confused. They didn't want to act like the Pharisees. They didn't want to act like the pagans. But I think their request came from something deeper. I I think it probably also came from watching their Savior day after day after day seeing him connect on such a deep, soul-filling level with God the Father. In Jesus' interactions with his Father, I believe they saw something deep, something life-giving, something vastly different than how the Pharisees engaged with God. And I think that's what they wanted more than anything else. They wanted to experience the same filled to overflowing, beyond-expectation life that flowed from Jesus. So they asked Jesus perhaps the most important question of all their training— Teach us to pray. And so Jesus did. This, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he began with, our Father. 
That's how the most powerful, most courageous prayers begin. Viewing God with the same love, the same respect, honor, and familiarity as a child does her dad. A chapter later, Jesus expanded on this, stating in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, he said, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children— How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now just contemplate his meaning for a moment, the depth of what Jesus is saying here in light of the best father-child relationship you've ever witnessed. So I recently wrote a blog post on this subject. You can find it if you go to my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. And I wrote about the stark difference that I have witnessed between how my daughter approaches my husband and I compared to how the youth we've opened our homes to over the years. One child in particular comes to mind. So he came from a really rough background where his idea, where where love in general was was skewed and, and where he really a place where he didn't feel secure and safe and loved. And so then when he came into our house, he was carrying all of this baggage, right? All of these hurts. And I noticed whenever he entered my office, he came in timidly, like he was bothering me or encroaching on my time. And sometimes he would even say that, I hate to be bothering you. And he never asked for anything. We we would always say like, what do you want at the grocery store? Or what would you like to do? Or, and, and, or even when he was maybe needing help, like for a test or some life skill, he wouldn't ask us unless he absolutely had to. And even then, he did so apologetically. And it always broke my heart. And I waited and I prayed for the day that he would approach me with boldness, with confidence, because I knew that would indicate a huge increase in trust, in in trust in my love and in my desire to care for him. That request would indicate that he'd begun to see himself less as a tenant, less as a guest, and more like a beloved child. That's when the depth of relationship that my heart desired would be built and revealed. And when I think of Jesus's invitation to come to God as our father, I smile, envisioning a young child with bright, hopeful eyes bouncing into her daddy's office, wanting a popsicle or a pony, or maybe even a glimmering unicorn with a diamond tiara. Or perhaps the child was rushing in, seeking protection from the bully down the street, the scary dog next door, or the monster she's convinced lurks beneath her bed. And the father doesn't chastise her for her request. He doesn't tell her how irrational she's being. He doesn't find her irritating. He welcomes the child close. He expects her to ask for the big things and for the small stuff, for those things that he joyfully grants, and also those things that he lovingly and wisely withholds. Because that's his role as her dad, just as it's her role as his child to seek and to ask, and to seek and to ask from him. If we take those verses in Matthew as a promise, as a guarantee that God will always grant our every desire, we'll end up disappointed, maybe even disillusioned, and we will miss the faith-bolstering beauty 
his words contain. But if we see them as a caring invitation for a relationship based on complete dependence and trust, our faith will grow and our fears will decrease. And so we begin with those simple yet profound words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or or holy be your name. He is holy. He is separate. He is completely other or different from, different from our imperfect fathers, different from those who have abandoned, betrayed, or failed us, different from those who may be promised to protect us or to provide for us, to be there for us, maybe fully intending to make good on their promises, but who found themselves in circumstances that prevented them from doing so. That will never be the case with God. He is and always will be completely other, outside of time and space, yet intimately involved in both. He is in heaven, able to hear every desperate cry and able to see every tear and injustice done. And yet he is our father. He is our dad in heaven, but also in our home. Once we've sat in that truth for a minute and really allowed it to sink deep into our souls, We move on to surrender, stating both as a declaration and as a request, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I once heard a pastor explain that to pray this way meant asking that God brought a bit of heaven, a bit of the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the justice, the righteousness of God to earth. So really, when we pray for God's kingdom reign to come, we're asking him to advance his light in our world, in our homes, and most importantly, within us. Ask him to help you see his kingdom expanding around you, to expand your view off of your current problems, off of your current struggles, off of all the hard things in our world, and onto the thing, the way he is working and ask him how you can play a part in that. When we join in God's mission, we often gain a front row seat to see him in action. And in this, we're reminded of just how powerful, just how amazing he is. And this in turn helps to decrease our fears and increase our faith. So we ask to see God's kingdom come, his will be done, and that it be done first in us. That's really hard, isn't it? Especially when life feels really chaotic. At least it's hard for me. The more my world feels out of control, the more I fight for control in my panicked, foolish state. When I pause to consider truth, however, I realize how limited I truly am in my understanding, in my wisdom, in my power. I do not want to play God in my life. I've tried that. And it landed me on the streets of Tacoma, Washington. I want to let God be God. And so even though it feels super terrifying in the moment, when faced with a crisis, I know my wisest, my best option is always, always surrender to say, Lord, your will be done. Whenever surrender feels hard, I like to remind myself of who God is. I pull up verses on his infinite wisdom and power. I reflect on his tender heart and times when he's revealed his love to me, times when he's cared for me. That's such a great practice to regularly reflect on who God is, what he's promised, and all he's done. And if you haven't done so, I encourage you to go back and listen to the very first episode of this podcast, where we really take time to unpack the nature of who God is, his character, and his love for us. And as we do that, not only are we bolstering our faith supernaturally, 
but we're also helping to rewire our brains. And I've discussed this in previous episodes, but to put it simply, our thoughts create neural pathways or habitual ways of thinking. So this means the more we give in to anxious thoughts, the stronger those thoughts become and the more apt we are to engage in fear-driven thinking in the future. But every time we intentionally think about and speak truth, we begin to reroute our thinking, forming new, healthier neural pathways. I often pray through Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, pausing to reflect on God's greatest display of mercy, Christ on the cross. I sit in that truth for a bit. I reflect deeply on it and the incomprehensible love it displays. I remind myself that God isn't a harsh taskmaster who is asking me to yield. He's my risen Savior, the one who gave his life that I might live, that I might thrive, that you might thrive as well. We have to remind ourselves of the life that Jesus called us to, the life he died to give us. He said that he came to set us free and to give us a filled to overflowing beyond expectation life. He promised us joy and peace, a joy and peace the world could never take away. And he always, always fulfills his promises, which means he will lead us toward the joy and the peace-filled life that he promised. He knows how to get us there. He's simply asking us to trust, to say each day, each moment, if we need to, Lord, your will be done in me. And I often ask God to help me in this. I ask him to remove my will, to remove everything within me that gets in his way, and to replace my will with his, because I know without the Holy Spirit's help, I am a self-obsessed, highly anxious mess. Only he can give me the strength and the courage to pray with authenticity, Lord, your will be done. Those words often bring such deep, deep calm. They unleash God's spirit within me. And as scripture states, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you belong to Christ, you have full and constant access to the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you, stirring you towards greater freedom. But often our our wills, they fight against this. They drown out his voice. They quench his spirit. Surrender, however, fans the spirit within us into flame. But praying for God's kingdom to come does so much more than that. It reminds us of the hope to come. It reminds us that life will not always be so hard. It will not always be so frightening. And it reminds us that no matter how things appear today, God still reigns. I'm convinced many times we, the angst that we feel when we see injustice, when we see abuse, oppression, sickness, and death, it's because we know life is not supposed to be this way. And we're longing for God's kingdom to come in fullness. We're longing for heaven and, and where we're at right now, it hurts. But what if while feeling the hurt, while feeling the angst, we reminded ourselves of the hope that our emotions point to, that our very inner turmoil is in fact evidence of that hope. A reminder that we were meant for another world, a place where we have all that we need and no reason for sorrow, no reason for despair. And in the meantime, we wait with longing, with hope, and with dependence, praying as Jesus instructed for our daily bread, that God would meet our needs just as he promised. And I wonder if when he spoke those words, I wonder if his disciples thought back to when their ancestors were wandering through the desert, completely vulnerable, completely dependent on God for everything, for protection from the sun's harsh rays, 
for protection from the fierce people groups who lived in the land, for precious water to sustain them, and maybe most vividly for the food, the bread that fell literally from the sky, giving them just what they needed, not because God was greedy or controlling, but instead because he was their good, loving, attentive father who wanted to teach them to trust in him, to depend on him. When we ask God to give us our daily bread, we're asking him to teach us that same lesson to help us in our unbelief, to remove our fear and to increase our trust, to once again remind us that he is our father who knows us, including our deepest fears, who sees us when we feel unseen, who loves us more than we could ever comprehend, and who has promised to meet our deepest needs. When you're feeling anxious, pause and remind yourself of those truths. Take a deep breath. Hold it in. And then as you release it, say, my father will meet all my needs. And do that right now. Take a deep breath. Hold your breath. And on the exhale, say, my father will meet all my needs. If you struggle with financial insecurity, with feelings of financial insecurity, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 21 titled Finding Courage in Financial Uncertainty. And in it, I discuss some biblical truths that have really helped me during anxious and uncertain times. God does not want us to live in fear, and he will give us our daily bread. He might not, however, give us that fancy car or new home that we want. It might not be loving for him to do so. I don't believe he'll answer prayers that will lead to increased selfishness, isolation, and pride. But when we come to him humbly, expectantly, we stir his daddy's heart, a heart that loves to give the best, the most enduring gifts to his kids, which perhaps is why Jesus told us to ask, even though God already knows all we need. And then once we've sat in his presence as his humbled, surrendered, dependent child, we unveil the deepest parts of us asking for his forgiveness for the wrongs that we've done, whether intentionally or intentionally. Lord, forgive us our debts. We confess our sin and then we rest in his grace. We need to learn to rest in his grace. Shame will kill our joy and peace, and shame has no place in the heart of a child of God. Jesus paid much too high a price for our forgiveness for us to hold on to past regrets. And so we confess our feelings and we release them into God's hands. In the Old Testament, God designed a beautiful system to both point everyone to Christ and also to help his people release their sins and their guilt. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16, a section of scripture dealing with how sinful humans can have a relationship with their holy God. So on the day of atonement, it was an annual solemn ritual where the high priest made atonement for the sins of the people. And after first sacrificing a bull for his own sins, he then took two goats, one to be sacrificed for the sins of the people and the other to act as a scapegoat. So the priest, he would place his hands on the head of the scapegoat. He would confess the sins of the people, the known sins and the unknown sins. And then this goat was released into the wilderness, symbolically taking the sins of the people with him. And maybe you need to practice something similar, not with animals by any means, but if you struggle to accept God's grace, to really feel forgiven.
I encourage you to do something. So grab your Bible, not now, but but set aside a special time to grab your Bible, a pen, a stack of sticky notes or scraps of paper, go to your backyard, go to a campsite, wherever you can build a fire, and then build a fire and then get comfortable and read Psalm 103 verses 10 through 14. I encourage you to read it aloud if you can. Read through it a few times, really taking in the words. Ask God to help you believe them. And then close your Bible, close your eyes, and ask him to reveal to you the hidden sins and the shame that you've been holding on to that have hindered your ability to really rest in his grace. Write those on your sticky notes or whatever type of paper you're using. Write one on each sheet of paper and then one by one, crumple the sins, crumple the shame, crumple the regrets, and throw them into the fire as your symbolic scapegoat, your your symbolic releasing. And then when you're done, thank God for loving you so deeply and forgiving you so completely. Ask him to bring that fire to mind whenever shame and guilt and condemnation come knocking on your door. And remember that those sins, those regrets are gone, literally a pile of ash. Determined to leave them there. There is such freedom and forgiveness in the forgiveness we receive and also in the forgiveness that we give. Jesus said to pray like this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we also have This assumes that we've done the hard but necessary work of dealing with our gunk because this shows we understand how much our grace costs our Savior, absolutely, but also because forgiveness is super good for our soul. According to emerging research, some, if not much, of our anxiety could be directly related to holding on to a grudge. And when we do that, we keep ourselves tethered to the offense. That's not living in peace and joy. That's remaining continually worked up. And this in turn gives the offender, the one who hurt us, ongoing power over us and our emotions. And we have to ask ourselves, is that person worth it? Are they worth our peace and our joy? One counselor stated it this way, quote, choosing to forgive another person makes you an active participant in the situation rather than a victim. It helps you regain control and peace, end quote. Forgiveness isn't stating that what the other person did wasn't wrong. It's not pretending that they never hurt us. It's not forsaking our boundaries, and it's not necessarily reconciliation. Forgiveness is relinquishing our desire to get even, putting that in God's hands. It's feeling the hurt, grieving it, and then releasing it, and going through that process of of feeling, of grieving, and releasing as many times as necessary. Now I'll share with you what I shared on Holy Love's private Facebook group, which I invite you to visit to join. Just visit Holy Love Ministries. Just search for this, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy Love Ministries in the Facebook search engine, and you should be able to find us. It's a safe, encouraging place where you can openly share your hurts, your fears without judgment, and where you'll receive support and encouragement. So here's what I wrote. Today, I want to invite you ladies to go deep, to find the courage to sit with Jesus as he unveils the deepest crevices in your hearts, areas where bitterness can take root. This could be your greatest and most powerful step towards emotional freedom. Did you know that harboring and rehashing old offenses can increase your anxiety? Research suggests that settled anger, that's anger that has gone deep and is enduring, From childhood and adolescence, it can lead to increased anxiety and depression in adulthood. This is especially true in regard to anger due to past injustices. Dr. Robert Enright, he's a mental health expert, he stated, quote, if the justice from the past is not cured, then it may be difficult to treat the anxiety itself. 
So in other words, we must feel and deal in order to heal and experience the soul deep peace that our hearts crave and that God desires for us to experience. So first we feel, we hit pause whenever an unexpected gut emotion like anxiety and fear arises. We prayerfully process what's really occurring deep in our souls and we ask God to show us the root. But we recognize that this may take time as he peels back one layer of hurt after another. We grieve the original hurt. We give ourselves permission to feel it rather than suppressing it. And we feel it with Jesus, asking for his perspective and following his lead however he leads. And then God heals us. That's his part. As we seek him in the midst of our pain, as we follow his lead, and as we yield to his wisdom, his will, and his grace. If you're wrestling with a deep hurt, consider tossing your offenses into the fire like I mentioned a moment ago. But maybe instead of reading the passage on forgiveness, read Ephesians 1 and just sit in God's love. Ask him to cover you, to fill you completely with his love. God wants to heal our deepest wounds, to clean our innermost places, those places that we're not even aware of, those wounded places that trigger unexpected and seemingly out-of-place anxiety today. He wants to set us free. To experience freedom, we must let go, knowing that God is our defender, our provider, the lifter of our head, the one who upholds our cause. And so we close with this, the ending of the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those words request guidance, protection, and inner strength. With that statement, we acknowledge to ourselves our capacity to sin, which in turn helps keep us alert to danger. And there's such power in that. There's power in trusting God and remaining dependent on Him, surrendered to Him, in allowing Him to heal us of our deepest hurts, in following His guidance, knowing we are always under His loving, fatherly protection every step of the way. Thank you for listening and for walking through this familiar yet powerful prayer with me. Jesus' words, when spoken, when embraced and meditated on, they have the capacity to quiet our fears and increase our faith. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode. We've got a lot of great ones up ahead and share it with your friends. I'd also be super encouraged if you would rate it. That helps others to find it as well and it encourages me and my team. Until next time, may you live with the courage of one who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Becca Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.